Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is so wonderful to see you on this beautiful day this morning. Uh, Good morning to those of you joining us online. We are so glad that you are worshiping with us wherever you might be this morning. As we prepare our hearts for worship, I want to invite you to open up your heart this morning and hear this word from Psalm chapter 30, verses 11 and 12. It says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Has he made you glad this morning? Has he put joy in your heart this morning? Amen. So I want to encourage you to praise him wholeheartedly today. Let him meet you here, and I know he has something wonderful in store for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, I pray that you would help us to rejoice in this day. Lord, hear the cries and the praises of our hearts this morning. Meet us here in this place. Fill this place with your glory. We want to see you, God. We want to see you move. We want to hear from you this morning, and we give our praise to you. Receive what we are bringing to you this morning, God. Bless us, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Lord, as we continue in this space of worship, God, as we continue in this space of openness to hear from you, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to speak to us this morning. Lord, I just want to thank you, God, Lord, I thank you for the signs of spring and the signs of life that is all around. Lord, after such a long and difficult year last year, we are so grateful for the signs of new life. And God, it's such a beautiful reminder that new life is springing up all around. And and while that may be true in the sense of the trees that are budding, that are beginning to bud, and the flowers that are beginning to bloom. God, we know that you are raising new life spiritually as well. And so, God, we pray that we would see that new life. We pray for that hope to spring up all around and that we would be a part of the new and beautiful thing that you are doing. God, we praise you for the ways that we see you moving. We praise you, God, that you are indeed moving in hearts and lives, and we praise you for that, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are a God that is continually calling us. You are continually moving in our midst. And God, we just thank you for the testimonies. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you work to bring your glory. We thank you, God, for the ways in which we see that glory revealed and the ways in which you are moving. God, I I thank you this morning for this beautiful community. I thank you, God, for this body of believers that is so gracious, so warm, and so welcoming, that this is truly a people who are journeying together. I thank you, God, for the fellowship, even in days where we aren't able to have as much fellowship as we would like 
We anxiously look forward to those days again, certainly, but I thank you, Lord, just for the fellowship that takes place when we gather. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather together on a work day like yesterday, and that it can, even in the midst of doing work, that it can be a time of joy, a time of coming together and working for your good. Lord, this morning, I thank you for the patience that you offer. Thank you for the patience in working with us. Lord, we are so fallen. We are so broken. We get it wrong so often. And yet, in your loving kindness, you are patient with us. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you are patient with me. Lord, my heart is heavy this morning, and I, I pray for the healing and the reconciliation that we long to see in our world. Lord, this week, we are reminded of the senseless violence and hatred that is still very much present in this world. Lord, we grieve with the Asian American community this week and the loss of life that they have experienced and how that affects them in different ways, ways in which we don't all understand. Lord, we recognize the pain that is there. And we simply just recognize it for what it is. God, we are reminded that you came to reconcile. You sent Christ in the world to be that reconciliation that we so desperately needed. And you long to continue to bring that reconciliation. You long to reconcile us to you and to one another and as we wait for that to be seen in its fullest, we grieve. The world grieves. We feel those pains. And God, we just long to be people of reconciliation. Would you help us, God, to be people of reconciliation? Help us, Lord, to stand together, arm in arm, hand in hand, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of violence, in the midst of division, we see these wounds that sin and division cause, but God, we proclaim your healing over these wounds, and we long for your reconciliation. Jesus, we are reminded that you intercede for us. Would you do that again? Would you continue to intercede on our behalf? God, we long for the ways in which you are making us new, Lord Jesus, intercede for us. Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us what we need today. May these words that I have prayerfully and carefully prepared not be my own, but may they be your words for your people on this day. Speak to us, Lord. Guide us and direct us. We open our hearts to you this morning. We love you, God, and it is all for your glory that we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you would like to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, we are going to be in Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be at the end of Mark chapter 8 and also uh, going into chapter 9. We're just going to read that first verse in chapter 9. So we will be reading Mark 8.31 through 9-1 this morning. 
I invite you to stand as we open up our hearts and read the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Mark says, He, being Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here, will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Have you ever witnessed an uncomfortable conversation? Maybe you've been a part of an uncomfortable conversation, and I'm certain you have. But have you ever been the person that is standing kind of on the outskirts of a conversation? You're just looking for some conversation and connection, and then all of a sudden things get uncomfortable. All of a sudden someone says something, and the tone just changes, and you can feel the tension is very real, and the awkwardness is very real. And suddenly you're just standing there like, oh my goodness, what do I do? This is very uncomfortable. I imagine that that's what this moment was like for those who were not Peter and Jesus. I imagine that this was one of those conversations that began in a really positive and joyful place, but it quickly changed tone. The tone quickly changed, and I believe that it became uncomfortable really quickly. And I'm not sure what's more uncomfortable here. I'm not sure if it's the fact that Jesus has just sealed his fate and essentially that of his followers, or the fact that he just called Peter Satan. I'm not sure what's more uncomfortable, but I am certain that this must have been an uncomfortable conversation. And I also recognize that this is a heavy text, that this is a heavy, weighty word, and I just confess to you I have felt that all week long. I have... I've kind of approached this sermon today um, just recognizing that not a lot of people enjoy hearing about how they ought to die to themselves. Not a lot of us really enjoy hearing how difficult life might be when we give our whole self to Jesus. And so I, I truly do pray this morning that you would humble yourselves before the Lord and just receive whatever it is he has for you as I've tried to do this week. 
It's a heavy text, and in this text, I said that it begins kind of from a place of of joy and celebration because what we didn't read, just a few verses before this main text that we read today, Jesus has just uh, declared that he is indeed the Messiah to his disciples. He's, he's been asking, who do others say that I am? And, and they kind of share that speculation and what they've heard through the grapevine, if you will. But then Jesus narrows in and he answers a very pointed and direct question. And he asks the disciples, well, who do you say that I am? That is such an important question that we must answer. As if Jesus were asking you today, who do you say I am? We ought to answer that question. And so Peter, our good friend Peter, he says, you, Lord, are the Messiah. And Jesus confirms that. And so this is, for a moment, a great celebration. Yes, he is. This is the Messiah. He has come. He is here. We rejoice. We celebrate. Our Messiah is here. But then the tone quickly changes as Jesus declares to them and shares with them what exactly it looks like for him to be the Messiah. And boy, does it disrupt everything that they ever thought, doesn't it? We'll focus more on that next week. Next week is Palm Sunday, by the way. That's crazy. Easter is two weeks away. And so next week, we'll really kind of hone in on that, this idea that the Messiah, that Jesus disrupts everything that we thought when, when, when his people were waiting for him. And so he has just declared this, his lordship. He has just declared that he is indeed the Messiah. And Peter, I have to imagine, is so excited. But then Jesus turns the conversation into, but here's what this looks like. And it completely disrupts everything. I really think this is a moment, this is an important moment that I think Jesus in this moment really fixes his eyes on the cross. It's as if Jesus has just keyed in and he has fixed his eyes on the cross and they're not going anywhere. He's preparing for the disciples what is to come and he's just laying it all out there. He's preparing them for what is to come, and it's heavy. It is shocking to them. I know it's not for us, but we have got to put ourselves in the position of those who are hearing these words for the first time. This was shocking to them. They couldn't hardly believe it. I really appreciate how the message translation uh, uses Jesus' words saying, this is not pie in the sky by and by. And boy, is that ever true. This is not pie in the sky by and by. It's in fact quite shocking and uncomfortable. And so they're all confused as indicated by Peter's response because in their minds, Messiah and suffering do not go hand in hand. What are you talking about, Jesus? Messiah and suffering are incompatible. That doesn't work. What does this mean? And so Peter, as we read, takes Jesus aside. And here's what you need to understand about this conversation. I was fascinated to read that scholars talk about this conversation that Peter has with Jesus. And it's not a classic Peter moment. We know that Peter is, is well known for his, uh, his quickness to speak without thinking. He's the guy that's constantly got his foot in his mouth, right? We understand, we relate to this, I relate to this. But in this moment, scholars indicate that by the language here and by the tone that Peter has actually thought out something that makes a lot of sense. He is 
arguing with Jesus, and it's, it's logical. It's a well-thought-out argument that he is, he is arguing with Jesus. It's intense, and it's, it's lengthy, but it's not flippant. It's a well-thought-out, logical, and convincing argument. And we have to imagine that this confuses everyone else. Perhaps those that are, are standing on the outside who don't hear exactly what's going on, but they very much pick up on it, they're uncomfortable, and now they're confused. Well, well, what Jesus says, well, that's shocking. But what Peter says, well, that makes a lot of sense. What are we to believe then? And so it's as if Jesus picks up on that confusion, and that's where he declares, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. And we have to understand that in calling Peter Satan in this moment, he's not referring to Peter as the devil, but Peter in this moment is serving as an adversary to Jesus. He is opposing what Jesus is saying, and Jesus won't have it. He shuts it down. He says, no, get behind me, Satan. I also found it interesting that is this perhaps the third temptation that we now see for Jesus to abandon God's way? Remember last week we referenced that first temptation in the wilderness during the 40 days before Jesus' ministry, and he was tempted by Satan. And then in the text we read last week, the Pharisees were kind of serving as that temptation. They were the tester, the tempter. And now here again, what do we have? Possibly a third temptation for Jesus to abandon God's way, and Peter makes it sound really good. It makes a lot of sense to Peter. And so Jesus, he pulls the crowd in close. It's heavy, I can just sense it, but he pulls the crowd in close. This message is not just for the disciples. This message is not just for the super committed Christians, if you will, but Jesus pulls all of his followers in close and says, this is what it means to be my follower, what it means to be my disciple. And then he says those weighty words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Ouch. See, Jesus has not only fixed his eyes on the cross, he's not only declared to the disciples and his followers what this means for him, the Messiah, but now he's, he's pulled them into it as well. And he says, this is what it also means for you. And I would just imagine that they are responding and they're thinking, what? Not only are you going to go through this awful thing, but you're, you're kind of, in a sense, implying that we will too. Because that language that Jesus uses to carry one's cross, that means something very different for them than it means for us. Or I should say than what it might mean for us. You see, for us, oftentimes, the cross is just this clean, beautiful reminder of what Jesus has done. And I'm not saying that it's not. But for the disciples, the cross was not this. For the disciples, the cross was an ugly means of execution. It was disturbing. It was shameful. Think about this. Think about it in this terms. It's what we might think of when we think of the electric chair. And I know that is uncomfortable and unpleasant. But that is really the only example I can give you that might help you think of this in the way that they did. We don't want to think about that, right? And that's how the disciples might be receiving this information because that's what they think of when they think of the cross. People were killed on crosses. They were put to death. They were executed 
and it was shameful and ugly, and now Jesus has just told them to take up their cross? Even that phrase, take up my cross, means something different for us. I often hear, and you've probably heard this too, we use that phrase, oh, it's just my cross to bear. Have you ever used that phrase or heard someone use that phrase? Oftentimes we use that phrase in relation to a frustrating job situation. Oh, it's just my cross to bear, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. We oftentimes think of our cross to bear as a chronic illness, unpleasant Difficult to live with. Oh, it's just the cross that I have to bear. Sometimes those crosses that we think we're bearing are just simple little annoyances like a flooded basement. I have yet to experience that, but I'm sure that that's very frustrating. And so we we think about these different things that we deal with in life and we say, oh, that's my cross that I have to bear. And I really like how in your, if you read your sacred devotional this week, you may have picked up on that where Stephanie Reverend Stephanie Lobdell says, these are not your crosses. These are thorns. She's referring to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 when he talks about this thorn in his flesh that he cannot get rid of. It will not leave him. And he calls out to God and he's wrestling with that. She says, that's what, what these inconveniences and these frustrations in life are. That's not our cross. That's our, that's our thorns. See, what Jesus is talking about here is so much more different than just the frustrating life situations that we face. He is actually calling them not to just an inconvenient life. He is not just calling them to a few hard days here and there or a few side glances here and there. He is calling them to the path that he himself is about to walk. He's calling them to follow the path that he followed. In this moment, Jesus is aligning himself with the kingdom of God and the will of God, and that is very different than the will and the ways of this world. And so to the disciples, this was indeed a death sentence. Was it for them too? Is that what Jesus meant? Was this going to be a death sentence for them too? We know that for many of them, it was, wasn't it? They did indeed give their life. They did indeed die for the sake of the gospel. We know that people around the world still do lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. But if this sounded like a death sentence for them, what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us today when we read these words from Jesus? I would argue that for us today, it's simply put that if we want to follow Jesus, not just call ourselves Christians, not just declare our faith, but if we really want to follow Jesus, we must die to ourselves daily. And I recognize, too, that that this doesn't always look like what it ought to look like. I confess this for myself, and I see this all around, that this doesn't always look like what it should it's easy to declare, to declare Jesus as Messiah, and yet we, we tend to rarely orient our lives in this way. When you make big decisions or small decisions in life, is Jesus a part of those decisions? That's what it looks like to die to self daily. 
That when you're making decisions in life, does, does Jesus have any input? Do you even come to him and ask him for guidance, for help? Do you surrender? Do we surrender every word, thought, and deed to the Lord? If we did, then I, I would have to believe that there would be a lot less hateful language going around. There would be a lot less pointing fingers going around. There would be a lot less um, ugliness and hatefulness. I would imagine that, that we wouldn't be so quick to gossip. We wouldn't be so quick to tear others down if we surrendered every word, thought, and deed to Jesus. See, we are called to align ourselves with the self-sacrificial ways of the kingdom, but yet we are often unwilling, if we're honest, we're often unwilling to lay down our privileges, our blessings, our jobs, our families, our life, our everything to follow Jesus. I think oftentimes, too, we we get it wrong when we are, are willing to follow Jesus And we're willing to carry our cross, but we expect blessings and prosperity in return, don't we? We do. We do sometimes. We think, okay, God, I will do this for you, but what will you do for me in return? What will I gain from this life that I'm living for you? I think oftentimes we, we like the idea of carrying our cross, but we are very quick to exchange our cross for the sword because... We still like power and privilege. And so we're very quick to to lay down that cross and pick up the sword as we see happens. This takes place in Jesus' arrest. Jesus says, no, no, put away your sword and carry your cross. There's a big difference, and this is a hard word. I know, I, I feel it. It's a hard word, but there is a big difference between this cultural Christianity and this kind of faithfulness that Jesus calls us to. We consider ourselves Christians, and yet often, not always, not everyone, but often our will and our way is not oriented toward that of Jesus, following his cues moment by moment, day by day, listening for his voice. And just like Peter was tempted to take a different way, we're not knocking Peter because we, too, are tempted to take a different, easier, more comfortable way, aren't we? We want it to be comfortable. Who really wants to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Who really wants to to give up their life for the sake of the gospel? It's tempting to take the easy way out and say, no, no, I want the cushy, comfortable version of the gospel, The temptation for us is to completely avoid this cruciform calling that we see here in this this text. The temptation is to believe that giving a few hours of our week to Jesus is enough. The temptation for us is to say, Jesus is Lord, but I'm going to control 99.9% of what I do with my life, my finances, my time, my schedule. The temptation for us is to look at people and figure out what we can get from them, how we can lord over them rather than how can I give my life and myself to serve and love this person. The temptation for us is to believe that this Christian walk is supposed to be cushy and comfortable and self-serving. The temptation is to believe that once we volunteered for a few events and, and, and chaired a few committees, we've carried our cross. The temptation is to 
wear a cross around our neck to show the world who we are rather than to look at that cross and remember who the world needs us to be. And the reality is, those are just the temptations that are very real and very tempting. The reality is that our hours and our days get ahead of us. And before you know it, without even thinking of how I can be an active participant in the kingdom today, what do you know? I'm already setting my alarm for the next busy, hectic day. The reality is that, for many, is that we rarely make a strenuous effort And I'm guilty of this. We rarely make a strenuous effort to pay attention to the person or to the situation that's right in front of us that's bidding us to carry our cross because, oh, we're just so busy. I'm busy. Are you busy? I'm busy. The reality is that we often devote our lives, our energy, and our attention to things that don't matter Oh, I'm so guilty of this, of giving my precious time that God has given me. And I waste it on things that just don't matter. It's why if you were to look at my phone and see the history of of the times I've deleted Facebook and put it back on my phone, it's ridiculous. That'll show you the inner struggle I have with wasting my time on things that don't matter. This is the reality for us. These are the temptations for us. And if we look back to the word, we see that, that Jesus' disciples got this wrong at different moments. Judas got it wrong, didn't he? He sold Jesus out. He was willing to pay that price tag. He was willing to trade Jesus in for power and status and wealth to be somebody. Peter got it wrong too, didn't he? He was tempted to take the easy way out, and he did. He denied Jesus. He did not take up his cross and follow Jesus, but he denied him not once, not twice, but three times. Thank God, and I mean that. Thank God his story didn't end there. Thank God when Jesus met Peter in that loving, gracious way that he does, Peter did indeed dedicate his life to serving Jesus. And we get it wrong too, often, daily. We get it wrong. We're tempted to also take the easy, cushy, comfortable way out. We make it about us. We make it about the world. We exchange our cross for power, convenience. And the tragedy is, here's the tragedy of it all. The tragedy is that to fail to embody this mission, this calling to die to self and yield to Christ, is to be ashamed of Jesus, as he declares in verse 38. And so, this morning, Jesus is essentially saying to us, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, which is what a Christian is, you have to be willing to die to yourself day by day, moment by moment. No halvesies, no in-betweens, no this time but not that time. It demands a total commitment, our whole life, a total commitment of our whole life to this journey. 
It's like, I picture it like offering up my life as a blank check to Jesus, and I'm signing my name to it, and I'm saying there's no stipulations to how you can use it. I'm not going to give you any guidelines. Use it however you want. It's all for how you want to use it. And so the invitation for us today, brothers and sisters in Christ, the invitation for me and for you is to die to yourself. Deny myself and surrender every moment and every day to Jesus. The invitation today is to lay down my preferences, my ideas, my convenience for the ways of the kingdom. The invitation today is not to just say that Jesus is Lord of my life, but to show that in my words, in my thoughts, and in my deeds. What does this look like for us today? What does it look like for you today? How do we need to die to self today? I'm going to invite the praise team to come and join me on the platform. I was thinking about a few people this week who uh, might be good examples of what it looked like to live a life for Jesus in this way. They died to self and carried their cross. I'm reminded often of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the ways in which he gave his life. He pops up all around, and I, I appreciate it every time because it's just so, so meaningful and so revealing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he gave up his life for the sake of defending the value of all human life in the face of the Nazi regime, regime didn't he? he? He gave up his life and put himself in harm's way just to safely move Jews from one location to another. He laid down his physical life for the sake of the kingdom. I think about people like Mother Teresa and how she gave her entire life to caring for the sick and the poor. You want to know what feels really relatable, though? Even though Mother Teresa is, does not, I don't naturally feel myself relating to her because, you know, I feel like she's up here and I'm somewhere way down here. But a relatable moment when I was reading about her this week was I read that she was headed to a retreat. Who doesn't love a good retreat? I read that she was headed to a retreat when Jesus oppressed upon her. Don't you love how Jesus just meets us in those simple moments of life? And he met her in this moment on her way to this retreat. And he impressed upon her heart to leave her teaching job and to go and work in the slums of Calcutta helping the city's poorest and sickest people. What if that were me? I, I think it would be really easy for me to say, oh, but, but Lord, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. That is an upstanding job. That is, I, I'm doing that for you. I'm teaching for you and for your kingdom. But what if Jesus were to call us from that to moving to help the city's poorest and sickest people and putting yourself in harm's way just to care for them? Could I do that? What does it look like for us today to die to self? How do we need to die to self today? Because if we are going to follow Jesus, we must die to ourselves daily in the big moments and the small moments. And we won't do it perfectly. We'll fail often. 
But the beautiful invitation is to come back and die to self once again. We'll die to ourselves a hundred times and then a hundred times more. But I know that the Lord is blessed when we are willing to lay down our life, to give my life up to serve him. Jesus says, whoever loses their life for the sake of the gospel will save it. So really, we're not losing anything, are we? We're not losing anything. What are we really losing by being willing to follow Jesus moment by moment, day by day? What are we really losing? We don't lose anything in that. And we must not forget, friends, that this, as Jesus says, is the way to abundant and eternal life, to die to self. We must not forget that this is the journey of Lent for Jesus and for us. The way to resurrection is through the cross. There's no other way. Resurrection cannot be experienced without death first. And I believe that when we truly lay our lives down or or offer up our whole life to Jesus, signed and ready to go, no stipulations, no holding back, I believe that when we do that, we will see new life all around. I believe that. We read that in Scripture. The disciples gave up their lives for Jesus. For them, it meant their physical life. And for some, that might be what it means. But what happened as a result? There was a great awakening. There was a revival. There was a new thing. And I believe that we'll see that. So we travel in the way of Jesus on the blood-sprinkled road that he walked out of love, grace, and obedience And we follow that same way. We know where that path leads, but we still follow. May it be so for us this morning.